Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. It is your weekly tee box dysfunction alongside the Caddy. I am the Maddie, and this is Maddie and the Caddy, the podcast. We appreciate the subscription, download, listen, and rate. Hit us up on social media at Maddie and Caddy, M-A-T-T-Y, the word and, C-A-D-D-I-E. That is both the Instagram, that is the Twitter. Today's guest, we wanted to keep it uh, in terms of the time of year that we are in and, and the heart of college football. You mean where I am? Well, we'll where, get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> But Mac Brown, former Texas football coach, is our guest today, and you would not believe some of the stories that he has about what it's like being the head coach at the most powerful brand, one of, if not the most powerful brand in college football, and the requirement of what it takes to be that coach along with being a golfer. Forget that. The story of his mom. Yeah. And the golfer that she's like, I don't like him. I don't like him. Yeah. And then what happens after she meets him? It is a fantastic conversation. That coming up, um, we're going to get to where the caddy is doing uh, this podcast today. Speaking of dysfunction. Plus, we will talk uh, about the number one ranked player in the world. Can that be sustained? But without further ado, time to welcome in one of our teammates here at ESPN and one of the great college football coaches of all time, Mac Brown, uh, joining us now. Uh, Coach, we appreciate you making time. And you and I go back to our days at Texas, and I'm curious, is knowing how to play golf a requirement to be the head coach at Texas? Not knowing how to play golf, but participating in golf. <laughs> there were some days, Matt, that uh, – well, here's, here's what the alums finally told me they wanted out of their head football coach. When you're playing golf with an alum – they want you to be competitive. They want you to want to win. They want you to be athletic so you got a good swing. They want you to hit a few good shots, but they don't want you to play well enough to think that you're practicing or care, and it would take away from their <laughs> football team. So that's what the head coach's requirement is when it comes to golf. You start getting – in fact, when I got here, John Makovic was a great golfer, and David McWilliams, one of the ex-head coaches here, said, how good are you at golf? I said, I'm not very good. And he said, good. Makovic was real good. And you see, I have much of that pimp. So that was kind of, that's kind of the pressure of the golfing being a head coach. So I got to know, though, where did it all start for you? When did you? When did you start playing golf and who introduced you to the game? I was uh, from a small town in, in Tennessee, Cookville, Tennessee. We only had three sports in high school. We didn't have golf. I didn't have money, so we we really didn't belong to the country club. So I didn't get to play in high school. I remember when I got to college that there were a couple of times I tried to play, and once I can remember hitting a shot on number nine at this really small public course, and it went over the green and went through the windows in the golf shop because I didn't know how far you could hit one or, or how to hit it. So that didn't go well, and the guys came out and said, What was that? I said, well, it was a good shot. I mean, I just I got it all, which didn't go very well. But uh, I didn't start playing un- until I was the head coach really at, at Appalachian State and Tulane. And because as a, a head football coach, you need to play golf. It's four and a half hours with, with boosters and, and friends, and, and you're, you've got someone locked in that golf cart. So 
you're just in a position where you 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 can get a lot of business done, and people don't care how you play. You just you just love to play. So I really started more when I became the head coach at Tulane uh, in New Orleans uh, in in the mid '80s, and I never had a lesson. I just got thrown out there. So I would say today, anybody who's going to start playing golf, get a lesson, get some fundamentals. Um, and now in the last four and a half years, guys, since I've uh, quit coaching, I play golf every day that I'm not working and that the weather's decent enough for me to get out there. So I, I play a lot of golf now. The thing that's amazing to me is you got into the sport the same way that I got into the sport where someone else told you you had to do it for business. And I want to know your reaction when they told you, listen, if you're going to coach here, you got to play golf. So grab some golf clubs. What was your initial reaction when they told you if you're going to be a head football coach, you got to be a golfer? Well, my first reaction was I'm a good athlete. That's no big deal. That's fine. (laughs) I can do that. And then I didn't realize how hard the game was. It still beats me up. So uh, it, it's amazing to me that uh, I've been playing for so many years now, and I had my first hole-in-one this summer. And uh, Booger McFarlane asked me last year when we were working on the ABC set, you ever had a hole-in-one? And I said, yeah, I hit a ball in the water on a par three, but then the next shot I hit it in. And he said, that's called a par. That's called a three. That's not called a one. So this year I actually had my first hole in one and, and it it's and I was playing last week up in the mountains of North Carolina and I actually hit the ball, Michael, that hit in the hole on number nine and it dug out a little part of the right side of the hole, bounced up and hit the flag and went off the green. So it, it's just such a hard game and it's I've got so many wonderful friends that are golfers and I really helped recruit the Jordan Speeps here at, at Texas because uh, all the golf kids here were really close to our football program. Uh, so golf, I watch Golf Channel all the time. It, it's, I, I watch every golf tournament. Uh, Jim Furyk actually invited us to come over and, and speak to the Ryder Cup team, and I just had to work and couldn't go this year. And Jim comes to a charity we have here. So it, it's just uh, – uh, it's it's my passion. It's my hobby, and and it's something that I I would do every day if I had a chance to. And and it's uh it's with friends. It's with beautiful places. It's with business partners. It's it's funny. I've been able to enjoy it so much more now since I quit coaching because I'm better. I, I get to to play more often, but I'm not as tired. When you're on the <laughs> the, the phone and you're worn out on the golf course. And, and and the the guy's asking you why are you playing the quarterback in your backswing? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's not as easy to play. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that, coach, because in the middle of your run at Texas, you guys were a top five team year in and year out, and Texas football is a brand. So give me the goods of of the people that you were playing with in the midst of your Texas run. Well, we we were. I always played in the Byron Nelson with, with a friend of ours and a booster named Bill Duvall that's part owner in, in Lincoln Properties, a huge development company. And the first time we played up there, we, we played with Phil Mickelson, and Phil has become a dear friend. And Phil is so good. He he uh, he finds out he's playing with us. Well, he, he has bones, his, his caddy at that time, go get him a, a burnt orange shirt to play with. So you can tell 
I mean, he he's all into it. And then everybody's laughed about Phil's gambling, all that. Phil knew more about our pro players in the NFL than I did. <laughs> and he and he he had us pretty good too deep on our team, and he knew he knew who we played and how we played and how we'd come out. And 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 now Phil has become a dear friend, and and uh, we've played quite a few times and gone to Cabo together. We were we were actually, and and golf leads to all of this. We we played in the Holiday Bowl and. It was two old, 2003, I think, and, and we'd had a tough year. We were 9-3, and three, and Phil had had a tough year, and, and uh, I didn't really know him, but we'd, we'd played 2001 in the Byron Nelson. We're out in San Diego, and he said, let's go to dinner. So we go to dinner, and, and the ever-positive Phil Mickelson says, hey, I'm going to win at Augusta next year. I'm tired of, of being second, third, and, and, and you're going to win the national championship. When we do that, Let's get 25 of our best friends and go to Cabo for a week. Well, I kind of rolled my eyes and looked at him. We're getting ready to play Washington State in the, the Holiday Bowl, so it wasn't like we were planning on being picked to win the national championship the next year. So uh, we lose to Washington State, but we go back, and I'm, I'm sitting at my, my house. I'm, I'm watching him on 18. He's got that long putt to, to win at Augusta, so he wins. Calls me right afterward and said, okay, big boy, I'm in. What about you? That year, we, we go to the Rose Bowl. We play Michigan. We win. We're third. He's at the game. He's in the dressing room after the game. He says, third's not good enough. We said, I win at Augusta. You win the national championship or no Cabo. I said, I got it. So he said, let's do it again. So the next year, he wins at Augusta. It just so happens that year, we win the national championship. So he's in the dressing room after the USC national championship game. He says, we got a problem. I said, what problem do we have now? We just won the national championship, and, <laughs> and, and you won at Augusta. And he said, our problem is we got a lot more than 25 friends that want to go to Cabo. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, uh, a, a couple of couples went went with, with Phil, and we just had an absolute blast. But we played with Sergio Garcia when he was 19 years old and in the Pro-Am, and it's just uh, golf's just been a, a, a joy for me and continues to be. I got it. I don't, you leave me almost speechless here thinking about Phil Mickelson going, listen, I'm going to win Augusta and I want you to win the national championship. And then we're going to Cabo. The, the, the part that I feel like is the realist is when you rolled your eyes and went, yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he was all in and he was right. And I'm thinking, what is this guy about? Oh my God. I just saw him play he just stunk. And, 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 we just got beat by Washington State. There's, there's no the national championship bowl. looking down. Yeah, in the Holiday Bowl. Come on now. Let's go, Phil. You're positive, but this is a stretch, my man. What are you – what is Coach Mac Brown, head coach of the most powerful brand in college football, and a guy like Phil Mickelson, what possibly could your guys' conversations be about? It's about everything. It's it's. I love talking to Phil. He's so smart, and he's so engaging, so – he comes. Uh, he comes down to uh, play in the uh, Dell match play every year in Austin, and uh, we'll, we'll. I go to lunch with him, or I go to dinner. It's right after. We'll we'll walk with him and watch him play, and and um, he'll sit and I'll say, "Tell tell me about uh, what you think of President Trump. Tell me about what you think about this fight between the Democrats and Republicans. Um, what what about?" This this young golfer, 
Tell, tell me about Spieth. I love Jordan. Tell, is he going to have a run like you? Do you think Tiger's ever going to get back? <laughs> I mean, it's just we have these wonderful conversations, and he's got such great opinions that I love talking to him just to see where he's going with it and and to, to see what it's about. And, and like I said, he is the most positive human being in the world. And I, I'll tell you another story. We're playing with two of my friends out at Rancho Santa Fe at his golf club. I'm playing with him. He, he, he doesn't play a lot of these public matches where he's just out playing golf with the guys. So uh, I'm, I'm at Texas. We're right in the middle of that run. I'm worn out. But a couple of big boosters had places in, in San Diego. So I, I go out to play with them. I said, well, let's get Phil to play. And they said, uh, yeah, sure. Let's get Phil to play. So I, I call Phil. Phil, you want to play? Sure. What time? Come on, come on up. So we go up. We meet him. And we're playing. And we're on 18. And I've got a little downhill putt. And Phil's kind of my caddy. And I said, help me with this, big boy, because if I make the putt, we win. If we if we make it in two, we tie. So do you lay up or do you go for it? So he said, be firm. Be firm. Well, I knocked it so far past the pin. <laughs> he said, I didn't say take a full turn. I said, be firm. <laughs> so then we lose because I missed the putt coming back up the hill. So we're walking off, and in, in Phil's way, he put his arm around me, and he said, I want you to know you're special. <laughs> I said, what is this about? He said, I have never lost a match against two guys that are not professionals before. <laughs> so you're the only guy that's ever helped me lose. Thanks a lot, You made it into the Phil record book. And I want to know – People always talk about Phil being really smart, but you were saying when you first started hanging out with him, he's not only telling you the play stuff that you're running, but he's able to go two and three deep on your football team. And, oh, he's and, so smart. Yeah, but at first when he starts doing that, you're thinking to yourself, oh, come on, man, this guy's full of it. Like somebody probably gave him a little – a little education on our team. But at what point do you realize, hold on, this guy really understands football? Because he does. He does. And 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 he loves it. And um, he, he there was this, uh, somebody gave him this huge bottle of wine that's very expensive that uh, he when he won at Augusta and said, put your name in the, the left-hand corner. And every time, anytime someone does something significant, uh, give it to them and let them sign it. So he gave it to me, and and after the national championship, I signed the right hand corner, and then he and I decide who's next, and and then we we're going to have Peyton sign because he won the Super Bowl, and then we're going to have Tom Brady, and then we're going to go play probably at Augusta or somewhere like that, and then we'll we'll drink the bottle of wine. So he's got so many unique things and ideas, and 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 he loves his friends and. And I would say on, on this podcast today, the Phil Mickelson that everybody sees every day is who he is. My, my mother, here, here's a great example. My mother said, I don't like Phil Mickelson. She was an avid guy. <laughs> and and uh, I said, Mom, why don't you like Phil Mickelson? You don't even know him. Let's smirk. He, he just, he, he's always got that little smile. And he, he, he always thinks he's just so smart. So that day, the first day we played with Phil at um, the Byron Nelson Pro-Am, Mom was there. She was with me. 
and we didn't know Phil was going to play. It's a, it's a draw the night before. So Phil comes up. The first thing he does is walks over to Mother. He hugs her neck and says, who is this cutie here? And she said, I'm Catherine Brown. And he said, Catherine Brown, you are so beautiful. Is, is Mac your son? Yeah. Oh, God, I know you're so proud of him. And, oh, my gosh. From that point forth, Mother adopted Phil. <laughs> he would he would walk down the fairway at Augusta. She went to every Masters after that. He'd walk down the fairway, and I'd say, Mom, did you see Phil? No, but he winked at me. I, I know he, he winked at me. I said, yeah, no question, Mom. So Phil just has a, a he just has a, a certain a part of his personality that just draws people in, and I, and I just love being around him and having fun with him. The uh, great state of Texas is notorious for high-powered politicians, namely presidents of the United States. Have you ever teed it up with one of the presidents to come out of Texas? I have. I, I played last spring with President Bush, young President Bush. And I had so much fun. Oh, my gosh. And he was the governor when I first got to Texas. So Sally and I have had, had such a, a wonderful life of, of being able to share with so many people like this. And President Bush is a hoot to play golf with. He plays really fast. You've got six Secret Service guys watching your swing. <laughs> and you can't yell at him or get mad at him or you could get shot or at least arrested. Um so that that's a little bit different as you go too. So we're playing at Preston Trail. President Bush says, "Yeah, I've had a little sore back." I said, "Listen, I got some of this lotion that's really helped my. I got a sore hip. It's, it's helped me put some on." So he put it on. He plays nine holes and does okay. And I said, "Mr. President, how, are, how you doing? Are you you okay?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm still a little sore." I said, "Here, take some more. Take some more. Put it on." He he does. And we get through with eighteen, and I said, uh, "Mr. President, enjoyed it." Uh, listen, I, I know you can get anything you want, but if you want to keep this lotion, he said, Coach, I don't want to keep that lotion. I don't think it's any good at all. I'm just being nice to you by putting it on that back nut. <laughs> and I mean, we were playing with friends, and he picks on you every swing. He is really? such a competitor. Oh, yeah, no, no. Hey, uh, big win there, Coach. Got got big wind in your face. What you got? Six iron? Oh. Oh, my gosh, you're going to have to swing that too hard to get there. I mean, that's President Bush's golf. He's so competitive. He, he never, ever is quiet. What, what's what's W's game like? I mean, is can can he bring it? He can bring it. He's uh, he's probably a 13. Okay. But he's uh, he, he's so competitive on every shot, and, and that's where he, he makes it tough. Now, do you talk smack back to the president? Like, if he talked no. smack to me, I couldn't help it. I would be like, no. oh, it's like that now. Well, when you got six armed guards behind <laughs> you with guns, you're a little bit more cautious with your your uh, trash talking. When, when you're playing. And I asked the guys once, I said, uh, I, he, he made a big play, and I ran over to chest bump him. He, he made a long putt or something. He was my partner, and I ran over to chest bump him. One of the guys said, Coach, go easy. <laughs> Don't, don't move too fast when you're running the chest bump the president. So I said, I got it. So they, I got it. So they're, they're wa the Secret Service is watching, every, even though you're Mac Brown, we, they know who you are. He knows you. They're watching you this way? They're, they're in golf carts about 15 yards behind us, and they're just making sure that the president is safe. 
Is the course shut down to the public? How does it? I'm, I'm more curious about this than anything now. So, is it a private club, the Preston Hollow area? Is are there people out there? How's this go? No, he plays with people out there. You just have security all around him, and he's he's eating lunch. He's laughing. He is. It's it's funny. He has got like Phil. He has got one of the best personalities I've ever seen, and. Sometimes it's 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 Matt. Like when I was coaching, I go to ESPN. These some of our bosses said, "Oh my gosh, you've really got opinions." As a coach, we thought you had coach speak and you didn't know anything else. And I said, "That's what you do." I mean, you don't. You're, you're talking to a recruit's mom. You're talking to the dad. You're talking to the minister. You're talking to the high school coach. You're you're talking to your legal counsel. I mean, you got 97 people you're talking to when you answer every question. That was President Bush. He. The, the the what we saw in the public with President Bush at a press conference is not at all who he is. Yeah. He's so much fun. He cuts up. He laughs. He picks at you. He is he is just a, such a joy to be around. And in fact, we were eating in a restaurant in Dallas the, the night after we played golf, and we're sitting in the corner and and we're with friends and and it's a small restaurant there in Dallas and. Nobody could see him from behind, and a couple of Texas boosters saw me, and they came up and said, what about the Vince Young, and what about this, and what about that? And President Bush actually turned to my wife, Sally, and says, you want to talk about Putin or anything? This, this being a celebrity must be a real bear for Mac. Uh, but that's him. He just, he's fun. I really enjoy being around the president. It sounds – the experience of the things that you got to do – from golf is absolutely it's phenomenal what golf has done i just i have to know this because of all the awesome things that you got to do being the coach of the university of texas what was the hardest thing what was the hardest thing about being the coach of the university of texas i think the hardest thing is when you've got 27 million people that care about what happens with texas football every day and you've got national media, you've got so many high school coaches that want you to take their player, and so many kids wanting to come, and you only get 25. I think from one standpoint, it's it's the evaluation of the 25 guys you take because 375 are going to sign, and you're going to make 350 of them mad that are going to play against you every year. And then the the – the actual public relations with that high school coach and with that family, because you are the head coach at the University of Texas, you've got to go back in that school every year. Oklahoma doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona State doesn't. UCLA doesn't. They can go to and hit schools. I had to go to every one of them every year. And, and the second thing was that you you had so many things going on at one time, multitasking at that place is huge because you've got boosters pulling at you. You've got regents calling you, wanting you to do them a favor because you're in the capital. So it's very political. Mm. And at the same time, you've, you've got to win all the games. And and when you're sitting there, the you, we won 10 for 10, 10 plus for 10 straight years or something. The expectation gets so high for you personally, mm-hmm. much less for your fan base. And then you, you, you excite this fan base so much that it becomes about winning and, uh, and their identity again. And, and then when you don't do it, you win nine, they're crushed. It's an awful year. It's, 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 uh, uh, 
we're, we're, we can't, we don't have the same bragging rights. And like Ohio State right now, like Clemson right now, like Alabama right now, you become the hunted. Yep. But, so every time you play, you're getting the other team's best shot. So people say, well, you, you've got an easy schedule. You should win the, win the rest of them. Well, when you're at Texas and winning, going to Stillwater's tough. Going to Kansas State's tough. Going to Lubbock is tough. Even if you've got the best team, you may not have the best team on that day because you're going to get everybody's best shot. And Coach Brawls told me one time, Michael, that you're going to play, your team's going to play at their highest emotion probably four times a year. And you're going to have to beat the other eight when you're not as good as your best. And that's where the coaching comes in. And that's kind of what happens at Texas. Yeah, and that look, and the way that you had that thing going, you were a perennial Big 12 threat and double-digit threat every year. Coach, you've been so gracious with your time. I want to get you out of here on this one because you've had so many experiences in the game of golf. Complete, if you were to go out this afternoon and play a round of golf, you make up one-fourth of the foursome. Who fills your other three spots today? Oh, gosh, it would be uh, it would be Phil Mickelson. It would be President Bush because we've talked about both of those. And I think it would be uh, Jordan Spieth. God, that'd be fun. Wow. Those would be my guys for the afternoon. And it, <laughs> it would be it would be more fun than golf. It's oh. just, I, I just love watching Jordan and Phil hit because Phil will he'll knock it out of bounds or uh, out of the fairway sometime to get behind a tree so he can show me how he hooks it around the tree on the green. <laughs> they do it on purpose. Yeah, or, or, or his flop shot. He's got me using a 64-degree, and he's the only one that can hit a 64-degree in the world, and I love it. And I screw it up all the time, but I still use it because I love it. The one time I hit it out of 10, that's good. And it it checks up right at the 10. I say, yeah, Phil, that's me, my man Phil and I. <laughs> Well, Coach, we appreciate your time. This was an absolute pleasure to hear these stories from you. And Thanks, uh, we'll, we'll talk this week. We'll talk a little college football this weekend. We got to tee it Thanks, up sometime, guys. too. Thanks, yeah, man. yeah, let's get that, that in. Well, I, I should have said Michael, Matt. I mean, I, that should have been my foursome. See, that, that's oh, but we, we would have known you were lying. We would have known yeah, you were lying. You know what? We're fine being the second team. We're cool after you play with them. That's like having a 70 to two blowout and it's like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. All right. Let Matt and Mike get in there now. Yeah. All right. Uh, got, hey, got to be ready to play every day and you got to play 60 minutes. So that, that, <laughs> that would be the deal. Thank there you. There's the coach. For speak. Me out. Thanks, coach. Thanks, man. I mean, Caddy, that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I could hear Mac tell stories all day. And for, forever. I forgot one. And it's my fault. I wanted to know if he ever called his mom out on the Phil Mickelson thing to go, hey, ma, thought you didn't like Phil. What happened there? Yeah, so no. The next time I see him, I got to ask him. You know he didn't. No, you Mac know, is a man of a great manner gentleman. and character. He's Yeah, yes. exactly. He's not he's doing that. He's a southern that. gentleman. He still says mother, you know. All right, coming up next, what does uh, what does uh, Tim Tebow have to do with today's podcast, <laughs> plus the number one ranked player in the world Sustainable or not, that coming up next on Maddie and the Caddy. All right, welcome back, Maddie and the Caddy. Uh, there are a couple things when Michael's not on the road uh, for golf, I'd like to call our weekly taping uh, Maddie and Caddy Roulette because apparently internet is not a thing in Gainesville, and Collins has now a couple of times had internet issues on the day of recording. So, Today, we get these texts. I'm home. I'm at home. How can something go wrong at home? Listen, 
Hurricane's gone. Sun was out. Temperature dropped a little bit. It's actually like spring. This is the time in Florida, especially in Gainesville, we don't want tourists to know about. We don't even want tourists to know that there's no humidity and it's a little windy, so the mosquitoes are kind of gone when it's 72 degrees and sunny outside. And at, what, 30 minutes before we're about to go time, I'm set up, ready to do this from the house. <laughs> Internet, done. Cable, done. The whole thing, shit, done. You send like an all caps text with like emergency, emergency. And I respond like, yeah, like, look, this, this is it. This has to happen today. We've got Mac Brown scheduled, scheduled for the rest of the week. So I said before we came on air and I, and I would like to now put this out to the Maddie and Caddy patrons. This is probably the most resourceful that you have ever been because not only did you, did you take (laughs) adversity and handle it? You then came up with a brilliant idea as to where you are now taping the podcast, which is where. Well, ironically enough, we have Mac Brown on today's episode. Yep. So I'm at a football stadium. I am literally right now in the visiting press box box of the swamp. And <laughs> and seriously, less than, I don't know, 40 feet behind me. Don't be surprised if Dan Mullins runs in and tells me to shut up as we're doing this because he's doing a press conference right behind me. And you know how big their game is this week. This is Florida-Georgia week, so you best not get in the way of anything. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I just We came up on the elevator. I got Bumboiza with me, Major and Braylon, Major who suffered his first football injury earlier this week. And look, I got to give a shout. Yeah, well, you say good. He broke his wrist. Bill and his character. Well, so this is a funny one. He's on the field, makes an amazing interception off a deflection. It's like uh, he had reflexes faster than what mine were when I was young. I got to give him props on that. Trying to run it in for a touchdown, gets as he gets tackled, puts his hand out, breaks his wrist. I go down onto the field. He is using language that would make NFL players proud. Good. Yeah, and as he's using the language, the trainers and some of the coaches looking up at me like I'm going to tell him stop. I learned it from watching you, up. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, public service announcement. He used words that I never used. Good. That's the that was the thing that was a little maddening too. But then as the trainers, hey, you got to take him to the emergency room. He might have to have surgery. We're in, I'm in separate car. His mom's in a different car because we got there at different times. He gets in the car with me, and the first thing he says after letting loose with a couple more happy words is, is mom going to make me quit football? And? And I was like, nah, I don't think so, because it's not a concussion. It's not any kind of backer. It's not a spine injury, and it's not a concussion. So I don't think so. Don't worry about it. And he goes, good. And then again, this bleeping hurts. (laughs) You know, this was a character-building moment at the caddy house this week. It definitely was. Now, because now he knows, like, hey, I mean, and the fact that he even asked it right out of the gate. Yes. Because that means he, he wanted to keep playing. Yeah. Well, and the other thing where the moment was is his younger brother, who's nine, was the water boy. And always from when he was little, little, probably five or six, all he wanted to do was play tackle football. So now he sees big brother get hurt. And the first thing he says is, Dad, I think I'm going to stick to flag football from now no, on. No, no. That's what I said. Nah, man. Now you know 
you got to get that helmet and shoulder pads on and get out there. You can still do this. There you, you know, go. It's okay. So Mac Brown I, would agree. That's ex- I completely agree. All Mac Brown, Dan Mullins, who's up in here, which is funny because Dan's son is in school with the nine-year-old as well. So they play flag football together. Oh, really? So yeah, so, which is nice. Right. I mean, I and I love Coach Mullins. He's a really, really good dude. Well, so, if you love him so much, drop the S from his last name. It's Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen. <laughs> I said Dan Mullins as with apostrophe S. Good guy. Right. Dan Mullins is a good guy. Yeah, that's true. You did do that. I just want to make See, sure if you walked in right now, you're like, Thank you for that English lesson since you <laughs> failed English. <laughs> Look, I didn't, I, I didn't need Mullen to walk in on you right now with you calling him Mullins and then hit you upside over the head with like a, a Tebow statue. <laughs> Which the statue's still out front. You know, him and that, that thing's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's three statues out in the front. Let me guess. Let me, let me guess who they are. Okay. I can get two of three easily. Spurrier, oh, of course. Spurrier yep. and Tebow. Got it. All right, Easy. So, so the third. Who's the third? Did Urban Meyer do enough? He won two titles. <laughs> let me put it this. Let me tell you something. Even if he had had, if he had past tense, if he had had a statue there, they would have melted it in the street. Okay. All right. They hate so, him so much right now. All right. So it's not Urban. They love anytime he messes up. Oh, I've or got things it. Go bad. I've oh, got yeah? it. Okay, this is going to be good. And, and I haven't looked at anything. I'm just thinking of no. Florida luminaries. What about Emmett Smith? Negative, Ghost Rider, but good try. Okay, good let me, try. All right, hang on. I can give I know you a I've, hint, I've been but it to, might give it away. I've been to the – no, don't give me any hints. I've been to the okay. swamp. I wasn't around the statues. I know this – you know, I've been to Tuscaloosa and how they do the statues there. They award them with national championships or whatnot. But the one thing that uh, Spurrier – has in common with Tebow, first and foremost national champion, but two Heisman Trophy winners. So my Ooh, guess is going to be hot. here. My, it is going to be Danny Warhol. Danny yes, Warfel. sir. <laughs> I was just going to say that Emmett Smith does not have the one thing that both Spurrier and Tebow have, as does Danny Werfel. You know who's got a national championships as well? Florida State and one of their alum. Oh God, that 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 segue even turned me on. Uh, Brooks Kepka of Florida State. He gets the. Uh, you know what? We can just pause so you can rewind it and listen I mean, to that again. Sometimes segues just see. write themselves. Oh, that segue was. Oh. Got the uh, win at the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges, uh, propelling him uh, to the number world one. World number one. World number one. And I want to ask you this with regard uh, to Brooks. Is he the type of player? Because we haven't seen it since Tiger Woods' run of dominance. And I'm not saying don't. Say that I, I'm no, not saying that he can. Hold I know, on. I know where you're going. Is he yeah. the kind of guy that can now grab this number one and hold it? Yes, I do believe so. Barring injury, that's the one thing in golf you always have to say is barring injury. Because if you remember, at one point he was the the hottest golfer until he got hurt going into the Masters a, a few years ago, uh, after he won the U.S. Open the first time, um, and it was an injury that kind of bumped him out for a little bit. So. I think Dustin Johnson had the world number one ranking for what, 64 weeks before he lost it to Justin Thomas for a couple of weeks and then got it back and Justin Rose had it for a couple of weeks. And so, um, Brooks is a guy. It's funny when it comes to Brooks Kepka. He's a guy that everyone talked about only gets up for the biggest events mm-hmm. that there are out there, but now winning at the CJ Cup, um, not necessarily one of the biggest events out there. Huge purse, which is nice. 
uh, nice big paycheck, but I think he's got the type of attitude and game um, that will keep him at that world number one spot for for a little while. Again, barring injury. Yeah, so, DJ had it at, for sixty four. Uh, Jason Day had it for forty seven. Uh, fifty one cumulative weeks, and then other than that, I mean, Jordan Spieth had it at twenty. <coughs> Yes, you're, you're looking at a guy that, I mean, Tiger Woods, it just obliterated everybody. 683 oh. cumulative weeks as the, That's crazy. as the number one golfer in the world. I don't know that, that we're going to see in our lifetime someone hold on to it for that long. And there's no chance. Nah. I mean, not, that, at least not in our lifetime. That is absurd. Not, yeah, it, it, it is. It, it just is such next level. And stuff. during that heyday, it was 281 consecutive. Yeah, because that's also when he was on that cut streak where he made, you know, twenty seven thousand cuts in a row. Yeah, because he never. regained it, regained it back in two thousand thirteen. Yeah, um, when he was a player there, I think he won five events that year. But I think here's here's what this says about golf that now it's Brooks. Because if you look at the run that we've been on uh, since Rory had it for a while, we had Adam Scott in two thousand fourteen. Then it was Rory. Then it was Jordan. Then it was Rory. Then it was Jordan. Then it was Rory, then Jason, then Jordan, then Jason, then Jordan, then Jason, right. then Dustin, then Justin, then Dustin, then Justin, then Dustin, then Brooks. And Donner and Blitzen. Yeah, so that's exactly right. It reads like a, a comic You know what book. it is, though? All of those guys want to be world number one until they get it. And then when they get it, they feel this extra pressure. Adam Scott talked about it one time. Me and him had a really good conversation about what that was like to be world number one for him. And then... What happens when you lose it? Like that, Jason Day is a perfect example. Got to world number one, and then when he lost it, realized exactly what it took to get there. And so now everyone does all the work it takes to get to number one, but the problem is once you get to number one, like you can't take a breath. That's why it was so amazing what Tiger did for how long he kept it. But that's because he was a madman when it came to – the obsession of practicing and doing what he had to do to stay at the level that he stayed at. It's why no one can do it for any sustained amount of time nowadays. So do you believe that now, after Tiger's run, that that players... I, how do I want to ask this? Because I know what you're going to answer if I ask it the way I want to. Is it well, something, ask it the way you want to, okay. and I think I know how you're trying to, is what it, you're trying to say. Do they think world number one, is it overrated? Yeah, and I know what you mean by the world by the word right. overrated. Um in a sense, yes. And the reason that I say yes is because the official world golf rankings still go back 2 years. So is the number 1 golfer in the world sometimes not the hottest golfer at the time? Yes, that happened a lot where there was a guy, you could say Dustin Johnson would be ranked world number one, but was he the best player in the world that week? No, mm-hmm. not even close. And the same with Jason Day and the same with Rory McIlroy and the same with Jordan Spieth. And so right now is Brooks Kepka the number one player in the world without question. So it kind of worked out so that now that the guy who everyone recognizes is the best player in the world is actually ranked as the best player in the world. Was Brooks Kepka the Number one player in the world when the week started at the seat. Yes. Was he ranked that way? No. So that's why sometimes you look at the official world golf rankings and you're like, meh, 
Does it really matter? I mean, it's great that they use it for guys to get in the top 50, which gets them into some events. But then sometimes you see guys that are in those events and you're like, there's no way that guy's ranked 60th in the world. So the, the point stuff that way is very skewed in a sense. But is Brooks deserving? Yeah, no right question. now, yeah. he's the man, the ranking is right, and so if you go down one, two, three, four, five, you go, all right, yeah, okay. As, as long as you get number one right, the rest of them is like, meh, meh, hmm. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes that guy plays as number two, sometimes he plays as number 20, but are those guys kind of interchangeable? Yeah, kind of, kind of. You know what just absolutely blows my mind is that Luke Donald held it for 40 consecutive weeks. That absolutely blows my mind. You know 40. what I, I, I would have guessed yeah. 10. I know. I, yeah. What, you know what I loved about Luke Donald when he got the world number one? He, I did an interview with him at the Disney tournament. The last, I think it was the last year that it was there. It was like when Rory made, that's when Rory switched from Titleist to Nike. And Luke Donald was going for player of the year as well. And he was also world getting. He got the world number one. And I asked him, "Hey, man, look in the camera and you tell everybody, are are you the guy?" And he looked dead in the camera and he goes, "I'm the best player in the world and I'm world number one." And when he said it, I was like, "It was like Robert Downey Jr. looking at the camera, going, I'm Iron Man.'" And you go, "Ah, dang, that dude's Iron Man." And Luke Donald looked at the camera and I was like, "Ah, dog, this dude is world number one." Like you could see it in his eyes. Yeah, but he was. We were kind of in that. We were in that post Tiger run where we were looking for world number one because his run ended in 2010, and then you had guys like Lee Westwood, Martin Keimer. Uh, that's when Luke Donald held it for forty consecutive one, weeks. Those guys were like one hit wonder. One, I know. One, for but, four, look, forty weeks is not a fluke. And I Luke know, Donald that, at the time, at the time, if you had one guy when he was world number one for those forty weeks, if you said hundred yards. To save your life. His was the first name that's coming up, and there wasn't even close. That is stunning to me. It wasn't even close for who was next. Because his wedge game was the greatest in the world, and he was a short hitter who didn't hit it straight. But he, when he hit the fairway, he made birdies, and when he missed the fairway, he made pars. What's more stunning to you, Luke Donald having a cumulative number of 56 weeks at world number one or Phil Mickelson never being world number one? Phil Mickelson never being world number one. I don't get that. One. You know, and the funny thing was when Phil had the opportunity to become number one for those weeks when Tiger was gone, every single week that they were like, all Phil has to do is finish fifth. <sighs> like he could, he literally couldn't do it. And I remember having a conversation with Bones one time about, like, why him knowing. Phil knew, because you know Phil wants to know everything. Absolutely. So he knew exactly what he needed to do every single week. And putting that extra pressure on himself, he couldn't do it. He couldn't get the job done to get to world number one. Which to think that Phil has never been number one in the world, that'd be like going... I don't know, Fat Albert looked like Fat Albert and never had a cheeseburger. 
like it's just not possible, right? <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Analogy. Yeah, it'd be like me looking like this going. Ending. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a vegetarian. Right? There like, you no, go. you're not. There like, you unless go. you ate a tree, you're not. Uh, I just uh, no. But I've had this conversation before with people of why there are a lot of over- vegetarians that are overweight. It's and, easy. And no, I know what it's bread and bread. cheeses. Bread. It's bread. It's all bread. It's bread. People say I'm a vegetarian, then they'll they'll get a vegetarian. They'll get a two and a half foot long sub with enriched bread. I don't understand. I, I'm a vegetarian. Well, you know what? <laughs> now you know. Keep eating a loaf of bread. Like, come on, man. yeah, because you can eat French fries. Those are vegetarian, aren't they? This is what I try to explain too. Because me and where my son goes to school. The coach is start, he started working out. He's a large dude too. So I was like, Hey man, I'll start working out with you. Went to the gym last week. Good hey, for you. Hey, hey thanks boy. man. Yeah. And then the dude quoted me the price and I was like, you know what? I'm cool. <laughs> I just, I'm all right. I'm like, I'm making TV money. So, <laughs> but <laughs> I said too, I could work out till the cows come home, but if you're not eating the right food, you might as well. Yeah. You're just floating. In the, like you're not making progress. That's it. So I have to figure out a way to convince my wife that rice is not a vegetable. Yeah, you're gonna have to. That's gonna have to come out of the equation. Yeah, and I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how. Why to don't do you guys try eating? Can't you make like uh, like squash and stuff? Can't you get a, a special thing to make it? Like pasta, so like cauliflower. You can do the cauliflower mashed potatoes, which are delicious. See that, that, that cauliflower. Yeah, but are you like putting butter potato. on them? Well, yeah, that butter has nothing to do with nothing. That's fine. What are you talking about? Butter's got to do with butter's nothing. Fine. It's, it's pure fat. No, butter's not fat. Butter's pure deliciousness. <laughs> it's not bread. What you have to cut out of a diet is bread and sugar. If you can cut out bread and sugar, like that kind of starches stuff or potatoes. You know what I mean? Like sweet potato instead of regular potato. But then for me, it's like, so sweet potato fries is cool, right? <laughs> nah, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, but sweet potato, so it's got to be something. Like could, you progress, cut, could you cut bread and sugar from, from the day that we're taping this? What's today's date? The 27th, 26th? Could you cut that out to 22nd? It's the 22nd. Could you cut that out from now until Thanksgiving? No. <laughs> nope. I'm being honest. I would love to. I, you don't understand I would how much I would love to do that. But I this you've seen I eat better on the road than when I'm at home. It's that home, it's the home cooking. It's not even home cooking. So I try and I try like I am fighting a losing battle. I'm the minority in the house. Like, look, we don't have to have Two different kinds of bagels, two different kinds of, of English muffins, and two loaves of bread, and seven different types of potato chips, and, and because also like I come from a spot where it was like you can't waste. Ah, so it's like it's on your plate. Yeah, and you don't buy something, and then like you don't buy a bag of chips and eat two chips, and like man, I really don't, and then open another bag of chips. Are you nuts? Like, what are you wasting? Oh, it was buy one, get one free. That doesn't mean waste it. You know, there are starving people in places all over. the Well, let's send them the chips. They're not going to be any good by the time they get there. We need to finish this. And that's the problem is that I would, I would go, 
I tried this one time. I was like, look, I got somebody coming to the house. They're going to clean, they're going to clean out the pantry. So we only have healthy food in there. Yeah. And at first when I said, cause I was like, I just need to put my foot down with this. How we going to do it. And I thought it was going to be like, yeah, okay. I'm in. Mm, nah, mm, <laughs> nah, nah, don't tell somebody who likes cooking and likes being in the kitchen that somebody else is going to be coming to the house and going through their stuff and dumping everything out. Didn't go over real well. I was like, I'm just trying to get some fresh vegetables in the crib. You know what I mean? Like, I love green peppers and cucumbers and tomatoes and, like, fresh. I love fresh vegetables and stuff. But. That brings us back. Well, that brings us full circle back to world number one because here's what we do have in that ranking is a guy who probably doesn't eat many sugars and breads. Nah, and he did text me. I sent a text message to him with a picture when he got world number one. He was on Sports Center with Randy Scott. Yeah. Because remember, he lost that bet to me. Yep. And had to get me some Nikes, some nice Jordans. So I took a picture of the Jordans sitting in front of the TV with him on with Randy Scott. And he texted me back and he was like, hey, thanks, bro. Love them sneakers. And I was like, nah, bro, I love the sneakers. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) He is. I love Brooks to death. Him and his dad. And it is. He's a deserving world number one. And because of the dedication that he has to the game and the attitude to working out and attitude on the golf course, I think he's going to be there for a while. Well, let's find out. We'll, we'll do a little bit of a side bet. Um, actually, let's do it right now so we can get it on the record. It's got to be quick, though. Over, under, 26 and a half consecutive weeks. Over. Okay. All right. I'll take the under. You take the over. Well, we, will, we will have this bet in perpetuity or at least for – the next few weeks until he's not world number one. <laughs> For the caddy. <laughs> Michael Collins. I am the Maddie. We appreciate the download, the listen, the subscription. We've had a fun time doing this. Our thanks to Mac Brown and everyone a part of today's uh, podcast. Again, Maddie and Caddy, both Instagram and Twitter. And we will hit you next week right here on the hey. Maddie and the Caddy podcast. Thank you, Jeff Cardoza, for hooking me up and let me get in here to uh, the Oh, swap. yes. Our and thanks to the Gators. Thanks to everybody at Gators. For saving the me. podcast, and that Thank means you. they'll beat Georgia this weekend and win the East. There, you said it. It's on the record. I got to root for the Gators. I mean, you have to. Yes, you do. All right. Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy.